Welcome, everybody. Let's talk real estate. Your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current commercial real estate market here in Southern California. As we take a no BS look at both sides of the issues driving this market today to find the best solutions going forward. With our man right in the middle, Barry Saywitz. Hey, Barry. Good morning, Paul, and good morning out there to all of our viewers and our listeners. Thanks again for tuning in. If it's Tuesday, we're talking real estate. We appreciate everybody uh, joining us again, and I'm excited about our topic uh, for today's show. I'm Barry Saywitz, uh, president of the Saywitz Company and managing partner of Barry Saywitz Properties. And if it's one thing I've learned in my 30-plus years of doing this, it's to try and surround yourself with good people, uh, gather as much good information as you can, and make good business decisions. And so... For that reason, I'm excited to have our guest on today's show, uh, Jerry Fink, uh, founder and managing partner of the Bascom Group, headquartered here uh, in Irvine in Orange County. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Barry. Yeah, so I appreciate you coming on. I'm excited because... I know you are a real estate guru, have been doing this for a long time, and are deep into uh, the investment side of things in uh, all of the different sectors of the market, uh, multifamily, office, industrial. Uh, I want to start with sort of how you got involved into the business, because you're a longtime Orange County guy and longtime real estate professional. So what made you get in the business in the first place? Uh, great question, Barry. I went to school at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, my undergrad was in electrical and computer engineering because my dad picked it. And uh, I finished that, but I realized I didn't really like engineering. I, I liked business. So I went to business school at Wisconsin uh, after undergrad and uh, majored in finance. And every course I took, they said, the markets are efficient. You can't outperform the market. And I realized, well, why am I studying it if I can't outperform it? And uh, I was at the gym one day and asked for a spot in a bench press. And uh, this guy that spotted me said, hey, what's your major? I said, finance. And he's like, well, I'm a real estate major. You should take a real estate class here as an elective. It's a great real estate program. And I thought, okay, that's a cool idea. I'll go take that. I took this real estate class. And uh, the very first day I sat there and the professor said, here's how you make money in real estate. You buy low and sell high. I thought, wow, that is so deep. I'm going to major in real estate. <laughs> so I double majored in real estate and finance. And I thought, I'll just look for the best job I can get, you know, graduation. It turns out that Wisconsin had this number one rated real estate program in the country and uh, a much better program than the finance program. So I graduated, had much better offers in real estate than finance. And I so badly wanted to get out of the Midwest. It was too cold. And I had a job offer from Pacific Life Insurance Company in Fashion Island. So I flew out in December, uh, landed at John Wayne Airport. I thought I had gone to, like, the promised land. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful women, expensive cars. Good I stayed weather. In fa yeah, good weather. stayed in Fashion Island and interviewed. I flew back. It was a blizzard. And I said, I'll take the job. I think it was, like, 46000 a year salary. So I came out here in the 1990, which turns out was really the crash had happened. Right. I had no idea. I was a, a student in, in school, so I had no idea the whole U.S. had crashed, especially California. So I started working for PacLife as a, an analyst um, doing commercial real estate. Uh, we did loans, uh, foreclosures, asset management. So it was a great experience seeing how the markets had crashed. And then I started buying little homes and duplexes and fourplexes after work on the weekends. And you know, kind of learned the value add story on my own and uh, started doing that uh, 
94, 95, which was really a great time to do that. And uh, I was good friends with David Kim and Derek Chen, who I went to school with at Wisconsin, the real estate program. And so Dave and I were talking about, oh, this is a, a great opportunity. The markets have crashed. And, uh, you know, I feel like if we don't jump on this, we'll miss the opportunity. So Dave and I put together a, a little business plan, 10-page, you know, PowerPoint. And that was before PowerPoint existed. So we did it on Excel. We did this Excel business plan. And uh, we thought we'll buy 500 units and uh, we'll each make like, you know, we'll buy them, renovate them, sell them. We'll make 500,000 each and, and call it a day because we're... We Go made, to the beach. Yeah, we right. made so much money. Right. And uh, so we put this little plan together and pitched it to some investors. And our first investor we pitched it to was Derek Chen, my other classmate at Wisconsin. And he, he after we're done, I thought he would say, hey, it looks interesting. I'll think about it. And then he turned it down. After it was over, he said, I'm in, I want to invest, let's do it. So in late 95, we quit our jobs. I was at Pacific Life, Dave was at Disney Development Company, quit our jobs, started Bascom, and turns out we picked an amazing time in 96 to start buying real estate in Orange County. Yeah. So it was really a, a great time. Yeah, it's a, and it's interesting because I grew up in the Midwest, yeah. and I love it there, but I would never go back, certainly not in the winter. <laughs> uh, and then I also started buying stuff in the 90s and, mm. and the same deal and started buying with duplexes and fourplexes. Yeah. And you could do it then because you could get 80 or 90% financing because banks were trying to get the, the stuff off their books and make loans. A little different than maybe today's environment. Exactly. And so Bascom Group, so you start buying stuff, and you're – your mo you, you've grown thing tremendously and and congratulations on all the success that you've had uh, you. personally and with the company and, and in today's world now you, you're buying big stuff i mean you, you're mm -hmm. buying uh big apartment complexes you're building industrial you, you have funds for different uh sectors of the marketplace i guess let's just talk about how bascom works in today's environment you put together a fund and then you bring investors, and then you go place that money and try and obviously make money on the money. I mean, that's my short version of it, but I'll let you give the, the official explanation. Yeah, I'll give the official explanation, which is every acquisition we make, we typically get a, a bridge loan or some type of loan to purchase it, and it might be 60 to 75% loan to cost. So it's a loan to cover the purchase price plus a renovation holdback to cover renovations post-closing. And on the equity side, we typically partner with institutional investors. Uh, it could be a life insurance company. It could be a private equity fund. We've raised our own discretionary funds. So a variety of sources. Or it could be a wealthy family office. So, And those investors typically put up 90% of the equity. We put up 10%. And there's a preferred return, a profit split. And so we'll, we'll find the opportunity, pitch it to an investor. They commit to doing it. You know, They'll put up 90% equity, put up 10%. And then we'll buy it, reposition it, spend anywhere from ten to fifty thousand per unit doing this, you know, minor to major upgrade, and then hold it three to five years and sell it, and then hopefully there's a profit that we can split up and we make our promoter profit sharing position if it works out great. Yeah, and in in the process of that, you manage the renovation, you manage the property, and so you're controlling it so that your investor partner a passive investor they're waiting for you to perform in terms of executing the business plan of, of that particular asset and then I, i'm going to guess assuming i if it was me investing i made money you call me the next time you'd be like i got another one let's go exactly right? and uh, that's the plan so we you know our investors are relatively passive you know we're the ones doing the work so we're hiring 
the property manager, we've got a construction manager, we're getting the financing, we're signing on the loan guarantees if, if required. So we're doing the entire process for the investor and, and that's why we hopefully can earn that profit sharing position if it works out great. So our investor can make money, we can make our profit share and everyone kind of does well, hopefully. Yeah, and so over time, uh, you started on the residential side and the multifamily, but you, you really forayed into uh, really all sectors, I'm gonna guess. If there's a money and opportunity and it makes some sense, you'd go there. Exactly, so we are, I tell people my day job is value add multifamily. So our company here in Irvine, and we have other offices as well, we're focused on value add, you know, buying, repositioning, and selling multifamily throughout the U.S. But then over the years, we've started about a dozen different portfolio companies, and uh, several are industrial. Uh, a couple have been office. We had a retail venture. We have a co-working company called Premier Workspaces. In every case, it's been the same. We try to find entrepreneurial people that needed our capital to get started. Um, you know, salaries, office space. But they had the ability to find good deals and find partners to kind of uh, buy and acquire those assets. You know, very similar to our business model, but they were doing something different, whether it was industrial or development or retail or office, some other different product type that we felt, hey, it's not competing against us, but it's going to enhance our sure. our growth as well. It, so it's another level, right? I yep. mean, they're finding deals for you just exactly. no different than you're finding deals for your own investors. Exactly. And then in terms of working with the brokerage community, I'm assuming that you do that as well. They know you have money and you're out there and active. They bring you deals. Yeah, the brokerage community is always our, our lifeblood. <laughs> so our goal is to give them surety of close. And because uh, if you're a broker, you want to bring the deal to someone that you feel right. they're going to close it, right? So. Um, we've got a great relationship, we think, with all the brokers out there, and that's how we live and breathe is them sending us opportunities you know, every day. And they, you know, whether it's off market, listed, you know, it's a very competitive game out there to find a, a good deal today. So you need that great brokerage community to help you do it. And so when you're finding these deals, are, are, do you find yourself competing against other institutional buyers or other well-heeled investors? I mean, the kinds of deals that you're working on today, I guess let's just talk about that, right? On the apartment side, mm -hmm. what's a range of size of units? It's, it's really on the bigger size of things, right? Yeah, I'd say we will buy as low as maybe 50 units, but you know, our niche really is that 100 to 400 unit zone uh, for multifamily. And the reason for that is, you start buying smaller deals and just the profit potential, the work, the fees, you kind of go, it wasn't worth it. There's no economies yeah. of scale. Yeah, economies of scale. And for us, you know, it's a lot easier to buy a 400 unit building that's, you know, $100 million than to buy a little 30 unit. Right. <laughs> and the profit potential is much greater. So you go, well, I'm going to focus my energy on those versus buying little properties where the the potential isn't that great. Yeah. yeah. And, and so when you get into the bigger stuff, I, I'm going to guess... A, harder to find, yep. uh, and then B, when you do get there, the other buyers that are out there, for the most part, are all well-heeled as well. And so how do you separate yourself when you're looking at the deal? I mean, first is it's got to work for you. Sure. Then you got to be able to tie up the property and all of that. Or are people coming to you now because they know you going, look, I'm just bringing it to you? Yeah, they, they come to us off-market, but then we also do a lot of unsolicited offers. So we'll say, hey, I like Garden Grove let's go target every owner in Garden Grove, send them unsolicited offers. You know, owners get these uh, letters daily from brokers going, hey, right. can I sell your property? They throw them in the trash. But if they get a real offer, you know, they're forced to go, well, should I take this? Should I counter? 
and then it creates a discussion that might not have occurred that if you just wrote him a letter saying I'm interested. So we try to send actual offers that are, you know, it's... So you put a number in there, right? Put a, put a number in there and you go, how do you do that? Well, we've got access to all these rental databases and we've got operating expenses. So we can pretty get a pretty good idea what the NOI should be just based on market rents, uh, what we think the expenses should be. So we're pretty good at drilling in maybe plus or minus 5%, 10% of what the property is really worth, just doing our own analysis without seeing any operating statements. Well, and also you're doing the value yeah. add, right? So, sure. so you're not going to come in. like that's, I do it on a smaller scale, yep. but you know, I'm not going to come in and, and say, hey, this toilet looks like it's old or, or this sure. towel bar's falling off the wall or you know, the roof's older. You know these things, right? Mm-hmm. So for the seller, he's just getting a number. You're going to write him a check quickly and get him out of the way, and he moves on with life. Exactly. And you're going to remodel it anyway. Well, that's why people say what what cap rate was, and I say sometimes, well, it's irrelevant because the rents were 50% below market. So, you know, we, yeah, we look at the cap rate, but it's not our most important criteria. For us, it's the total return over the whole period. You know, maybe that's an IRR they were trying to hit. Right. That's our, our target, and you know, we like buying higher cap rates. It's easier to get financing, but you know, whether it's a three, four, or five, it kind of doesn't matter. It's really our model we built, and can we move those rents to some higher level? But don't you find like I go back to the '90s, right? When I first yeah. started buying stuff, I would buy stuff at a six or a seven cap, sure. And then I would say, hey, look, even if the cap rate stayed the same, if the market didn't move, if I could renovate, if I could raise the rents, if I could get better tenants and fix up the property, then my value would go up sheer surely by just increasing the revenue, exactly. right? And, and you were buying it at today's cap of whatever that number was, five, six, seven. And then if you valued it when you were done, you'd be at the same cap rate. It, what happens is then over time, you're buying on a future cap rate or a future return. You don't care about the cap rate. And then that gets applied to the next deal, which then drives the market up because the cap rate that somebody looked at it says, hey, this guy bought it at a three cap in a five cap market. Hey, sure. guess what? And so it's interesting how that actually moves the market in the wrong direction if you're the buyer. And, but but you need to make deals and you don't sure. care about the cap. And we, we plug the cap rates in, but it's funny, the thing we most talk about is gross rent multiplier. Yeah. <laughs> Very simplistic kind of test of, hey, what's the purchase price divided by the annual rents? And uh, you know we found that if you can buy something sub 10 GRM, it's probably a great deal. If it's high teens, probably doesn't work mathematically. So we kind of, we have all these gross rent multiplier tests that we look at, you know, very simplistically to go, is this a big picture, a good deal or a bad deal? And, and what's a typical hold time for a deal that you have? You said three to five years. Sure. Is that kind of what is? And then there's an exit strategy, which is I sell it, my partners get their money, I get some as well, and I go to the next deal. Uh, yeah. So we're probably a three to five year holder. And people say, why three to five years? Well, we buy it, you know, the first year, year and a half, we're upgrading it, renovating, turning units, doing the exteriors. It takes another year to kind of move the rent roll up. And so by year three, you argue, well, I've done everything, right? Other than just market growth, I've done my value add. And a lot of investors, you know, they want to give you money. They want to see you execute the business plan. And they want to harvest it, make their return, you know, split the profits up and then go their separate ways. So right, they're they're not the long term holder. This is not uh, yep. uh, my retirement. Uh, exactly, and, cash I, flow thing. and I'd say private investors a little different. Some may say, "Hey, I want to just refinance and hold it forever because it's more tax efficient." But I'd say the majority of investors they want to see you execute the business plan. 
make a, a profit, call it a day, and then they, you know, move on because a lot of them have limited life funds. Their funds are 10 years. And so the goal is go make investments, make a return, keep keep yeah, moving the money, and then move on, and they close the fund down, do another fund, which is great for yeah. you because then it basically yeah. you're making money off the volume of the deals as well. Sure, yeah, it's it's all about. Um, at some point, you have to kind of harvest your promote, right? Yeah. <laughs> you make this profit, and maybe you have imputed equity, but you got to prove it. Yeah. How do you get back? <laughs> so. And and, and I, I was uh, reading up and, and looking online. You guys have done I don't know something to the tune of close to twenty billion dollars of transactions. And mm. uh, was I reading right that it's something like ninety thousand apartments around the country? I mean, yeah, we've acquired uh, ninety thousand units to, uh, uh, to date. That's about three hundred and thirty communities. So. You know, we've been one of the more active buyers and reposition type groups in the U.S. doing that. And then that doesn't really include our development deals um, and other ventures we've done as well. And all of that's run out of the Irvine office for yeah, the most part. Exactly. Irvine's our headquarters. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, uh, and I saw you guys are, are one of the, I guess, top 50 uh, apartment owners in terms of volume and size-wise in the country. And that yielded uh, for you accolades of Entrepreneur of the Year and also mm -hmm. awards from right here at UCI from their Center for Real Estate as well. So. Sure. It's great stuff. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I want to talk apartment market in today's world, right? So how is it different now? Interest rates go up. Uh, volume of transactions seems to be slowing down. Everybody's a little more careful to make sure they're not making a mistake uh, or that they don't buy at the wrong time or the wrong price. Are you doing the same, and are you seeing that? Uh, we are. We're more cautious as well because a year ago plus, we were in this 3 to 4 cap rate environment. You could borrow high leverage at 3%, 4%, next to nothing. Rents were going up double digit. It was this golden era of buying and owning real estate. And uh, and then probably April, May, the government started cranking up interest rates and uh, dramatically from near zero to, you know, so far now is what, 4.6%. So a massive increase in interest rates. And then the fear of, oh, this recession's coming too. So it's not just that, and then lenders get more cautious as right. well. So what's happened is the leverage is lower. So it went from 75% to 60-ish percent leverage. So a lot lower leverage at a lot higher interest rate. And now you have the fear of, I'm not gonna get these double-digit rent increases. They're gonna be two, three, four, if I'm lucky, going into this recession. So the whole outlook's changed. Your leverage is lower, your rate is higher, and now you're worried, are my rents going to be lower a year from now or two years from now if I go into this recession? So it's really changed the the, the whole picture from a year and a half ago or so to um, a much more darker mood on, you know, owning real estate. And, um, you know, people still like multifamily. You know, they, they don't like office anymore. So there's more capital flowing to multifamily, but people are more nervous today. And the cap rates are dramatically higher. It shocked me how much cap rates have moved up in Orange County today. Um, you know, they were, what, threes to fours, and, and uh, you know, there was a building in Orange County, that tra brand new building up in was a Whittier, uh, traded for a five cap rate, which you would have never seen that. Right. <laughs> and that's a, that's a Class A building. Right. So, you know, it probably gets worse from there. And I think a lot of sellers, there's been very little activity because sellers are shocked that 
are cap rates really that high? <laughs> right, and the seller is still focused on yesterday's number, and so yep. whether it's the buyer, whether it's you, or whether sure. it's their broker has to go tell them, hey, your property was worth X, it's not worth X anymore. No, it's a- And Y is less than X, not more, right? Mm-hmm. So you, and, and you go from really quickly, almost in the you know flip of a switch, multiple offers, bidding wars, purchase price, exceeding asking price yep. to no activity, I need to take a haircut, right? And, and, and then the other issue I found, I'm curious what you see in, in your world is that the perception of the market is as bad as the reality of the market. So if the perception is that it could get worse or there's a recession, not only does that affect your tenants when they go to renew their leases or their own mindset, but then it affects the buyer uh, as well, which then further, I think, drives the prices down. Exactly. And I think it's, um, yeah, I talk to our staff and I always ask them, hey, what are current cap rates today? And they tell me, and I'm like, that high? I'm even in shock how much it's moved up. And uh, so I'm still in this hard to believe it moved that much that quickly up. And, you know, prices are probably down 10, 15, 20%, not just LA, Orange County, but nationwide, because you plug in this lower leverage loan at much higher rate, you know, that's the answer now. It's, it's a lower price today. And, uh, and you look at buying activity, and uh, a year ago plus it was, hey, if you want to be the top bidder, you better go hard, not right. fundable, a right. million dollars to right. get the deal, right? That was a common uh, you know, action on... Probably, yeah, doing stupid things yeah, just to get the property time. Two-thirds of the deals, you had to go non-fundable, a large amount of money pre-due diligence. Now that conversation <laughs> doesn't occur. They're kind of happier bidding on it today, so the whole world has changed dramatically. And you go from this ridiculousness of this crazy market to really what should be a normal market. I mean, in a normal market, I ask a dollar for something, you offer me 90 cents. We haggle, maybe we settle at 95 cents. Exactly. Not, I say, I don't even know the price, but it's definitely not less than a dollar. Why don't you make something up and give me some money and do some other weird things? Oh, yeah. Right? And the, in, a year ago was, I'm asking a dollar, but I'm going to offer a dollar or five and go non-refundable and close in a month. <laughs> right, right, and not asking questions exactly. and just deal with it. Exactly. So are other parts of the country the same as what we've been experiencing here in Southern California? I mean, we have some dynamics here that I think are, are much different in terms of not only the property value and the rent growth being much mm-hmm. higher, but also with just the legislative with rent control and other things. Do, do you find that it's more difficult in other parts of the country? It's much easier, and I'd say, you know, as we talked about, um, L.A., in the Bay Area, maybe the worst markets of just toxic um, ownership kind of actions by the cities and tenants. <clears throat> you go to Florida, Texas, Arizona, it's a free market, pro-business environment. And if you're in L.A. in the Bay Area, it's, well, A, no one's paying rent, or <laughs> uh, B, you can't evict anybody uh, still. And so it's been a very negative, dark environment in those markets. Uh, have rents gone up? Yes. Have, are the vacancy rates low? Uh, yes. But you know, anywhere from ten to thirty percent of a building in LA in the Bay Area is not paying rent currently. That's crazy. And hopefully, in March that ends. But um, it's been a crazy three years of if you've owned in those markets, it's been very painful of uh, huge delinquency rates. And so, why? Yeah. I'm going to ask the question: Why would somebody continue to own in those kinds of markets versus just go to Florida? 
the weather's still nice and um you know pro, I, I don't business. right I, mean, <laughs> I have a governor who's pro business i have just an overall environment that is much easier to deal with why and what are you hearing from your investors and, and why would you stay well it was interesting because i went to um maybe a year or so ago and it was a group of about 40 ceos and uh, they spent an hour bitching how awful owning in la was and uh about this lawsuits tenant rights advocates no one's paying rent i can't evict anybody and after an hour the moderator says well would you rather go buy in phoenix or texas they all said no (laughs) (laughs) i said why i said well at least if you buy in california la orange county or bay area you feel like if i buy something here even if i buy wrong 10 years later i'll make money on it because high barriers to entry low vacancy rates and as much as all these people are difficult on you, it actually discourages new construction. So the market stays tight and strong and rents go up and you feel like 10 years from now, yeah, I'll be glad I bought it. And that's a common theme. Yeah. And we've talked to other yep. guys that have been on the show about it is if you're in it for the long haul, yep. then while California has certainly it's more than fair share of difficulties and large swings in property values as the market shifts more so than a Texas or uh, uh, Florida, but at the end of the day, you'll do better in California if you can uh, accomplish the barrier entry and, and get in, and if you have the stomach to hold it. If you don't, yep. it's much easier to go someplace else and just n- not have to worry about those those giant fluctuations and all the other That's problems. That's true. So. so in terms of your uh, company's uh, appetite and, and desire to buy in today's world, have money, looking for the right deals, and is it multifamily? Is it industrial? Is it retail i mean are, are you still if the deal's there certainly you'll you'll execute yeah for multifamily that's still our primary focus and uh but it's a real challenge today because as you said the sellers are in shock that cap rates moved up that quickly and you know a lot of sellers think well i'm just going to wait maybe rates will go down cap rates will go back to normal whatever that is but um which is interesting because I thought five percent was normal and I thought three was low, yeah. right? And I thought seven was pretty good. But sure. then the problem is people have a short-term memory, right? And oh, they yeah. go, "Hey, three percent cap, like that? Oh yeah, that's a good." Oh, like, I mean, that's, they, not, and, that's a stupid number. It, it was only a year ago; it was a three-ish cap rate. And, and you yeah. weren't buying on three, and I wasn't yeah, buying sure. on three for a long-term hold. Yeah. Of three, right? So, so the dilemma I've got is I'm a long-term holder, and then broker would pitch me the deal and say, "Well, you could buy it at a three cap, but then you could fix it up, and then you could raise the rents." And then I go, "And then what do I get? Four and a half?" Right? I mean, that's not attractive. Yeah. I get that in the bank today. Exactly, and that, that's a big challenge today is that people can buy these CDs at five percent, and you start going, "Well, they're what a federally tax-free, so right. why, why even invest in real estate?" I'm going to put my money in CDs right now. What's happening is people are pulling their money out of the banks because they can't earn a good enough rate. Right. And the banks now are having big withdrawal issues and loans aren't being paid off. They can't make new loans. It's put kind of the lending environment in a little bit of a quirk right now because of this whole, you know, CD rates are so attractive that why keep my money in a bank earning, you know, 1% or half right. percent? No, no, no. It's, it's certainly a challenge. And so where do you see the markets uh, going between, at least just now and the end of the year? I mean, there is rumor of uh, one or two more rate hikes. Maybe they stop. Maybe they just keep plugging away. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your thoughts on, on where the market goes? Are you going to see more of the same, just slow? Uh, I think it's going to be slower. Um, and the biggest problem really is the debt financing. is It's lower leverage. It's higher rate. 
Now I say that's the negative. The plus is people have been burned in office buildings. They don't like retail. They're nervous about hotels. Uh, industrial's hard to do if you're an investor, um, especially a private investor. So multifamily, what I've seen is more capital flowing toward multifamily because it's the one product type people go, oh, if we go into recession, I'm going to do okay. I'm not going to get damaged like I might in an office building. And so little do they know, right? The people have to pay. (laughs) They got to pay rent, (laughs) and rents have to keep going up. So I see more. I still see more capital flowing to multifamily, and there's always Freddie and Fannie. So you have great financing sources. So I don't see a crash in multifamily. I see rent growth moderating to maybe three, four percent this year. You know, from the double-digit rates we've seen for a year or two. So, and do you see that the supply demand? Uh, for lack of a better word, trumps the, um, the the fact that I mean you've had this steep rent increase uh, for for renters, um, but there's still a limited amount of supply out there. So if I if I am out there looking for an apartment, there's not tons of stuff for me to pick from. No, that's the one you know plus and minus about uh, Southern California. It's very difficult to build. It takes you four or five years to get something built, assuming you got the approvals and financing. And so, you know, the risk of new supply is pretty minimal here. So if you buy your own apartment, the risk I'm going to get overbuilt, a pretty minimal risk. Now, you buy in Dallas or Phoenix or Florida, that's a real risk today that they build too much, and they probably will build too much in the next year or so, and rents might go negative. But in California, it's just rare to see too much supply hit. And you're land constrained, yeah. right? And so somebody would well, have to knock something down to build something new as opposed to Florida. You could just keep Yeah, and, they, and they, will, they will buy office buildings. They'll buy some old commercial and build multifamily. But by the time you buy some other old product type, build a new building, you might be 450 to 550, you know, thousand per unit, right? It's a very expensive yeah. proposition. And if you could buy something at 250, 300,000 a unit, you're a big discount to replacement cost. Yeah, no, I agree. So I said when we before we got started, it would go quick, and we are out of time. Uh, we could go all day with this, and okay. certainly love to have you back. We'll pick a different topic, whether it's rent sure. control or industrial or other okay. things, uh, and pick your brain. But I do uh, appreciate your your insights and your input in the markets, and, and certainly wish you continued success for you and your family and your business. Um, how do people find you or reach you if they want to get more information on Bascom? Group? They can go to our website. It's uh, bascomgroup.com, and our contact information, bios, histories on there. So uh, if they have a deal or interested in investing, just reach out to us and we'll do our best to help you out. Great. I appreciate it, uh, as always. And uh, your expert advice and opinion uh, is well received. And so for those folks out there that are thinking about multifamily, uh, you've got it right from the from the source. Uh, I think long-term uh, Southern California, long-term Orange County, uh, good investment. Be careful out there. Make good decisions. Uh, I am Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company. And thanks again for tuning in. And thanks to everyone here at OC Talk Radio, as always. We'll see you again next week uh, on Tuesday. Uh, for Let's Talk Real Estate. Thanks for tuning in. Well, there you have it. You've been listening to Let's Talk Real Estate, your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current state of the real commercial real estate market right here in Southern California. On Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio, streaming live from our studio here at the University of California, Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center.